Dear Lord, thank you for reminding me to pray. And Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. And we come to you this morning and ask you to work in your word and work in our hearts so that uh, we will respond and give you glory and be changed and made like your son Jesus. Lord, bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, have you ever wondered why some Christians seem to be comforted by God and some Christians seem not to be comforted by God? Christians go through difficulties, some maybe the same types of difficulties. And some Christians are comforted by God and some Christians are not comforted by God. Have you ever wondered why? Well, today we're going to see what God does when we hold uh, to his word and stand firm in Jesus Christ. Indeed, we're going to see that he will encourage our hearts and strengthen us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 16 and 17. We're going to finish chapter 2 today, Lord willing. And uh, just a brief overview of the context. Again, this is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And his first letter was written just a couple months earlier. And he had only been with the Thessalonians for three weeks. But they had heard the gospel and they had responded. They had trusted in Jesus Christ. They had received it as the word of God and not the word of men. And they turned to God from idols They turned to serve the one and only true living God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to to come. And it has only been a couple months because he addresses this letter the same way he does in the first letter, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And there was only a short window that they were together. And so we know it hasn't been very long. So this church is less than a year old in the faith. And within that, uh, we see... In 2 Thessalonians, as we did in 1st, that this body of believers were going through much persecution for their faith. We don't really understand that. We're starting to get a little tiny taste as we're starting to see a few little things uh, down the horizon, at least people being persecuted politically in a sense. Well, that's going to continue probably and end up uh, with Christians. You'll see that probably. We'll see that in our lifetime like we haven't seen before. It's already starting a little bit. We pray for God's grace, but... We haven't been persecuted like we see in the early church. They were persecuted. They were persecuted for coming to Jesus Christ. They uh, certainly had counted the cost and they were enduring, but yet it was difficult. And the Apostle Paul writes to encourage them in the midst of their persecution, but also to uh, protect them from false teachers and teaching who might come alongside and redirect their hearts from the truth of God to something that was perverted Uh, so that they would be shaken up and and disturbed rather than standing firm in Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to encourage them and to protect them. Now we saw in chapter 1 that these believers, uh, although they were persecuted, that God hadn't missed a beat, that those who were persecuting them would receive God's judgment. They would be severely uh, dealt with and spend eternity in torment Uh, those who had rejected Christ, those who uh, did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved, as we see in in chapter 2. And so the Apostle Paul is writing them uh, them to tell them, hey, God hasn't missed it, but you're on your way to glory. You're on your way to glory, Thessalonians. And then we came into chapter 2 where he tried to help them and is trying to, through the word, try to help them and us 
not to be discouraged in the midst of persecution because for them there were some false teachers that had come along and had said basically it's so bad for you you're in the day of the lord and they had understood from the first time paul was with them and his first letter that they would not go through god's wrath uh, but that god would come and take them they were not destined for wrath and so having shared that uh, false, uh, false teaching to them, they were, sh- they were about to be quickly shaken up. And Paul writes them and says, hey, don't believe a letter as if from us or a spirit or a message as if it's from us that the day of the Lord has come. It can't come unless these things are happening. He talks about the apostasy where the whole world is turned away, basically the apostasy from Christ and that the man of lawlessness is revealed. You can't be in the day of the Lord because these things haven't happened yet. And therefore, we saw that the Apostle Paul shared the destiny of those who would go through the day of the Lord. He spoke about the man of lawlessness who would be empowered with all of Satan's power and, and, and wonders, his false wonders, and de- all the deception for those who perish, who will perish, because they did not receive a love of the truth so as to be saved. And so he pointed out the destiny of those who rejected the gospel and would go through that. But then he encouraged them that they would not go through that. They would not be those who are going through that uh, that uh, um, terrible time. Uh, but in contrast, uh, they're going to be, uh, as we're going to see again and look through again, they're going to be blessed. They're going on their way to glory, on their way to glory. And so as we come to our passage, we'll review a little bit of what we saw last week, and I'll share that in a minute. But we're going to see today what God does when we stand firm in Christ and we grasp his word tightly in our hearts. We're going to see what he does. Again, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. And now you're going to see this. This is the close of the chapter, but it really is all part of the chapter. And I wish I could have shared these two verses last week with the message I shared last week because it all goes together, but we just didn't have time. So I'm going to go ahead and share a review of what we saw last week and then come into how this connects to what we saw last week. Verse 16 of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, it's personal, and God our Father, it's relational, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. And as I mentioned, uh, chapter 1 reveals they were suffering greatly for their faith. Chapter 2 reveals there were bad guys that were trying to shake them up, attempting to uh, cause them to trip up in the faith. That's what Satan does through, through his minions, in a sense, and thus those who are in his domain. And so uh, we see here, indeed, while they were suffering, the temptation is to have your eyes pulled off Jesus. Your eyes pulled off Jesus. The Apostle Paul goes on to explain, ultimately, what they should be doing that they should be focusing on their salvation in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that again. And then they should be standing firm in the word of God and then let God comfort them. Remember we saw last week, verse 13, that they should focus on their salvation in Christ. But we should always give thanks uh, to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, 
And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to look at this more in depth, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get the MP3 of the CD because we went through a lot of stuff here. Just barely going to touch on it as we move towards our passage. But uh, if you notice here, we should always be thankful for our salvation in Christ. In contrast... To those who have rejected the gospel and are on their way to eternal destruction in the lake of fire forever. They're going to perish. In contrast to those, uh, those who have trusted Christ, what a glorious future you have. You are beloved by the Lord. God chose you for salvation. We, Paul says we are obligated to always give thanks for you because God chose you to be saved. You know, and that ought to cause us to think, hey, in difficult times, we ought to always be giving thanks for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Isn't that a song? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. That should be in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, uh, for saving me from my sins. And, and we see how sinful we are now. And we remember how sinful we were, and we know what Christ did for us. Thank you. You know, you're not going to go through that horrible, terrifying time, Thessalonians, but God has chosen you for salvation. What a, what a contrast. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. You're loved by him, and we'll look at that in a minute. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. As we've seen throughout the book of First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians and the letters that Paul writes, he is so thankful for those God has truly saved that have manifest in a true relationship with Christ through faith and thus a love for the saints. He's so thankful. And that brings him to thankfulness. God saved you. And we ought to be thankful for one another. Wow, praise the Lord, so-and-so got saved. Not just God saved, but they are saved. Praise the Lord for our brothers and sisters in Christ that God chose them for salvation. He chose us. Praise the Lord. Now, we looked at this idea of being chosen uh, last time. We looked at election in depth. And again, you can get the MPC, MP, MPC the MP3 or CD. Um, but the reality is God chooses. And yet we are responsible to respond to the gospel. That's human responsibility and God's sovereign election. How does that work? I don't know. But he says it, so I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to try to explain it away rationally. I'm not going to try to deal with it emotionally. I'm just going to believe what God says believe what god says and so we need to be thankful and that's what we saw but then we also saw we need to understand god's current process of salvation what he does in us now which is through sanctification how he does it we need to understand that because it leads up to what you need to know that you can be comforted you got to stand firm in the word of god you got to believe what god has said and if you're not doing that you're not going to be comforted And so he says here, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. And this is marvelous. Uh, Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He chose you for salvation. Salvation is salvation from sins. Salvation from the wrath of God. God's a holy God, 
We are in desperate uh, need uh, of being delivered, saved from the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sins. And God did that and brought the provision through Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, lived the perfect life. Uh, The Lamb of God, who bore our sins in his body on the cross, died for our sins and rose from the dead, and he's the provision. We have salvation from sins in Jesus Christ. We have salvation from his wrath upon sin. We have been saved and then reconciled into a relationship with the living God. And so we have salvation, but salvation also manifests itself in our present tense reality. We are actually being saved also from sin right now. We're being delivered in a sense. We're being, as we see, sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart, to be separate. When we believed we were initially sanctified, set apart for Christ, we see that in 1 Corinthians 6, but also in Hebrews chapter 10, but we are also being sanctified on a daily basis. God is taking by his spirit and our faith in the truth. He's changing us to cause us to become more like his son, Jesus. This is the process. It's not a book on discipleship. It's not a book on how to grow in Jesus. Now, they might have that in there, and that's good if they do. But the reality is, it's a pretty clear process of how we are sanctified. And he says here, through sanctification by the Spirit, the Spirit of God does the work through faith, he says, or by the Spirit and faith in the truth. You see, God's Word is truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is true. Set them apart in your word. And he's praying. God is the one through his spirit that sets us apart from sin. When we respond by faith to what he has said, as he convicts us and corrects us and trains us by his spirit, he sanctifies us. He sanctifies us. You see, we need to allow his spirit to work in our hearts. We need to renew our minds We're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of our minds. And we then believe what God has said, and he changes us. And he works that out and proves what his will is in our actual lives and actions. And so that's the process of sanctification by the Spirit. It's God that does the work through his Spirit, through his life-changing word, as we believe the truth. You will never become more like Jesus if you're not in the Word of God. You will never become more like him. You will never grow in respect to salvation. We're to long for the pure milk of the word, that we would grow in respect to salvation. It's the word that does its work in us who believe. If you don't believe, the word is doing zero work in you. But if you believe what God has said, and that brings about a fear, that brings about a changed relationship, that brings about a, a love relationship, it brings about obedience, trusting and obeying. If you believe what he said, it's going to change your actions. The Spirit of God is going to change your heart. The term repent, metanoia, means to change your mind. You see, if I have a mind to do something, I'm going to go do it. But if I change my mind, I don't do it. My, my mind is changed. You see? And so when your heart is really changed by God's word, when you believe it, your behavior follows after as you abide and trust in Jesus Christ. Tremendous, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. How wonderful is that? That's how God sets us apart. 
But yet not only have we been saved and chosen by God, and we're thankful for that, not only is God sanctifying us now, and we're thankful for that, but he is also going to glorify us, and we've got to look at that and focus on our future glory. From the Word of God, by the way, we need to be thinking about these things from God's Word. What he did for us, what he's doing now, and what he will do for us. Okay, And so he says here, he says, called you through the gospel, and excuse me, at verse 14, and it was for this, that's salvation, right? Through sanctification of the Spirit, he called you through our gospel. You see, God called us through the gospel. He called you, he said, come, come, follow me. He called you into his kingdom through the gospel. The good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, right? Was buried and rose from the dead. He called you personally through the gospel. And he called you through that, that you might gain something or acquire or possess something. And what is that? The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a packed statement. Wow, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were called through the gospel for salvation that we might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. We were saved through the gospel that we might possess or acquire the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, but what does that mean? Well, we've barely tasted what's to come. Peter would say that God has called us unto his eternal glory in Christ. Well, that's the glory. We know that we're going to be glorified that God is going to remove all sin forever and ever by glorifying us. Philippians chapter 3, we see that God will, verse 21, will transform the body of our humble state in conformity with the body of his glory. I, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom no temptation. I can't fathom not sinning. But I can't wait because I can't stand temptation. I can't stand sinning. So I look forward to glory, and I hope you do too. We have some wonderful passages that talk about the weight of glory that is so far beyond what is going on now that we need to get it right. We need to focus on it or we're going to get messed up. We're never going to be comforted by God if we don't let God's word permeate our hearts, as we're going to see. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We saw this last time, but it's good to review. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul's going through all kinds of stuff. Uh, we had it read earlier. You know, they were brought to the point of death that they wouldn't trust in themselves, but the God who raises the dead. He's already talked about the fact that, hey, things are going bad. We're, we're, we might die, but it's for your sake, Corinthians. And he says, in all that, he goes, therefore, hey, it's going to bring God glory. They're going to thank him so we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart because what God is doing through us, even if it leads us to death, is going to bring praise to God. So he says, therefore... 2 Corinthians 4.16, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, certainly we're all decaying as we get older. I'm decaying, you know. Um, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the physical um, wearing down that the beatings and the persecution and all that was taking on them. He's saying but we're being renewed. Inner man's being renewed day by day. Day by day. And he's going to say something. He's going to talk about some eternal scales that we need to have in, 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 in sight. For momentary, compared to eternal, light affliction compared to the weight of glory, says momentary, light affliction is producing something. An eternal 
weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I got to see that. That's the way we should be thinking as believers. That's a Christian mindset. That's a Christian mindset. Yes, there is affliction, but it's nothing compared to the glory it is producing for all eternity. Wow, the eternal rate of glory. He says there, while we look not at the things that are seen, we don't focus on it, we don't stare at it, we don't put our hearts on That's where you're starting to worry, right, by the way. If you're a worry ward, a sin worry ward, it's all sin, by the way. It's because you're focusing on the things you can see. And God's gracious. He says, pray instead, and I'll protect your heart and mind. I'll deliver you from worry. Don't worry, right? Philippians 4. So here he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. I'm staring at the things I can't see with my eyes, but I can see them by faith in the Word of God. And so we have that. And then even uh, Romans chapter 8, he says uh, that we're, we're Spirit himself witnesses, bears witness that we're children of God. And if children were heirs of God, were God's heirs, and were joint heirs with Christ, how about that? That's a, that's a glorious thought. We're joint heirs with the, with the King of kings and Lord of lords. How can that be? Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed, there's a qualification, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And he says, For I consider the present sufferings of this world not to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. I make a decision in my mind based on the truth from the word that the glory to be revealed is not worth comparing to these present sufferings. They're nothing compared to the glory to be revealed. And so we need to have that view. You see, we've been called unto his eternal glory. There will be a day... No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. We'll be glorified and spend a glorious eternity with the living God. But the amount of glory that God gets and we participate in is dependent on your deeds in the body right now. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, to be rewarded in a sense or to, to lose rewards for the deeds done in the body. No more sin, sin's dealt with. But what we do now is important for eternity. If you don't abide in Christ, you don't trust Him, you do your own thing, apart from Him you can do nothing. Unless the Lord builds a house, they who labor, labor in vain. But when we do His will by His uh, strength, abiding in Christ, that sets up eternal reward, and I'm sure it's connected to eternal glory because Christ will be glorified when we see what He did, not us, in all eternity. So then... The goal of our salvation, we need to be staring at it. We need to understand what he's doing now and be staring at the goal of our salvation. We're headed to glory. This ought to be permeating our hearts and minds. And you've got to make a choice because the junk of this world will permeate our minds automatically. That's what Romans 12 is talking about. Do not be conformed. It's in a passive. Allow yourself to be thinking like the world. It's just going to happen. The junk of this world is going to Mess up your mind if you don't actively renew your mind with the Word of God so that you'll be transformed. You've got to make the choice. If you don't make the choice, you will suffer. You reap what you sow. You know, you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap from the Spirit. And so then, we have the application which we saw last week, which leads into what he's going to share today. Verse 15, So then... 
in light of this glorious salvation that I'm so thankful for, in which God is setting you apart through His Word by His Spirit, in which you're headed to glory. So then, brethren, stand firm, verse 15, and hold to the traditions which you were taught. He says what you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hold to what we taught you. That was the apostles. Hold to the word of God. You were taught. You were taught the word. Hold to the word of God. So then, hold to the word of God. He says here, stand firm first of all and hold to the word of God. The term stand firm, we looked at it last time, stako. Um, Paul says back in 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, for now we really live if you stand firm, stako in the Lord. We really live if you're standing firm in Christ. You're standing firm, trusting Jesus. As we know, the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. Don't let your circumstances knock you off kilter. Stand firm. Stand firm. Trust Him personally. Rely on Him. Don't be taken captive by false teachers. Stand firm. Don't get shaken up by a message that's not from the Lord, it's just from your heart or from some bad guy. Stand firm, and then we'll see here. And then he says, hold to. term krateo means to grasp or possess strongly, to seize. Grab it. Grab the word of God. Don't treat it lightly. You know, we see that uh, if you treat it lightly and don't really care about it, then God doesn't really do anything in your life, by the way. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. There's got to be a right attitude underneath it, and that's an attitude of the saved if sin hasn't gotten in the way. Proverbs chapter 2. He says, My son, if you will receive my sayings, hey, you're going to have to receive it. Receive what I'm saying. Psalm inspired by the Spirit. This is God's word. And treasure my commandments within you. Treasure my word, the commands, the things that I'm telling you to do. It's God telling you to do it. Treasure it. We, we fight with it rather than treasuring it. Treasure my commandments. What do you think of when you treasure something? You value it. Treasure my commandments within you. It's in your heart. It's not simply a Bible verse on your car or on your wall or on your answering machine. It's a heart that treasures the Word of God. He says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, hey, I, I, I'm not, I can't see things right, Lord. I need you to help me see it right through your Word. If you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then, then... You got to have the right attitude. So many people in good Bible churches, whatever it might be, here in the Word of God, never discerning, never changing, never growing. Their hearts aren't right. There's sin in the way. But here, then you will discern the fear of the Lord or discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and look at from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. It's his word. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. It's a heart attitude towards the word of God. Grasp it. 
Grab it in your heart. Grab it in your heart. Hold on to it and stand firm in Christ. Take possession of the Word of God. Grasp it in your heart. You see, that's the application. And I believe here we're going to see if you don't do that, then you're not going to receive God's comfort because God actually comforts through His Word. God uses His Spirit to comfort us. And if we're not holding on and grasping His Word, we're not going to be comforted. We're going to see that there are those who are comforted and those who are not. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught. You need to be taught. Got to be in the Word of God. Don't waver. Stand firm in Christ. Cling to the Word. Cling to the Word. Don't believe those uh, false guys, Thessalonians. Don't get tossed your heart's tossed around because of the persecutors. They're on their way to damnation. Hold to the Word of God. Hold to the Word of God. So at this point, this comes to our passage, and that's why I reviewed so much, because it's so connected. It closes out this wonderful set of two chapters, by the way. And so what happens when we cling to the Lord and we stand firm in His Word? What happens when we grasp it and hold tightly to it? What happens? It's what we need. It's what we need. It's his comfort and strength. So then, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter from us. And here we go. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. That's a tremendous couple of verses the reality is when we suffer through trials or whatever it might be we desire comfort and strength that's what we desire we want to be comforted we need a strength right but again as i shared there are some christians who are comforted and strengthened and some who are not and we're going to see why notice the context it's implying paul is praying here it's implying that those who are holding on to it and grasping it that's what you got to do. Now may God do this. You do this. Now may God do this. You see? You don't do this. Is God going to do that? Do this, guys, and God will do this. Now may God do this. So notice what he says, and I'm going to share the structure of this first of all. Notice it's a prayer and the structure. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. That's, that's uh, who it is, God and the Son and the Father. And then we have a description of who he's praying to, a description of of, of God who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. That's a description. And then we have the request, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Now may God, uh, the Father and his Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father, who have loved us and given us these things, may... May, may God do this. May God comfort and strengthen you. That's what he's talking about. You see, it's uh, Jesus Christ and God our Father who uses the word by the Spirit, as we'll see, the Trinity's involved, to comfort us, to comfort us. He doesn't say, may his Spirit comfort you, because the Spirit is the active force. God is the one who uses, now it's the Spirit's a person, but uses his Spirit to do that through the word of God. So then we have this tremendous statement. Notice the term Lord Jesus Christ. Um, It speaks of God, the eternal Son. We have God revealed in three persons. One God, here or Israel, your Lord your God is one. 
revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons. How, how does that work? I don't know. I'm not God, but I believe it. I believe what's revealed. I don't understand it, but I believe it. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. Three distinct persons, one God. But we see them acting because they are each God, one God, which is three persons, one God. We see them acting in harmony together. So we have the Lord Jesus Christ, that's God the Son who took on human flesh. The term Lord speaks of the self-existent one, deity. Jesus is the name that was given to God the Son when he took on human flesh. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21. Jesus, in, in, the word is Yahshua. The term Yahweh is the I am. That's the Lord. The I am, the Lord. Shua saves. The Lord saves. You shall name him the Lord saves. That's who he is. He's the Lord who saves. He took on human flesh. Jesus. That's what it means. And then Christ is a term that came from the ter- term Messiah. Messiah. Um, the Lord speaks of uh, the, the I am. Jesus speaks of his human name. And the term Christ speaks of the anointed one, the Messiah. That's the king of kings, the, the king who would reign forever and ever, but would have to suffer first for the glories to follow. The glories to follow. So we have the Lord, Jesus Christ, but we also have God, our Father. God, our Father. If you've come to Jesus Christ, you've been reconciled with God the Father. You've been reconciled. You've had your sins forgiven, and we enter into a relationship in which we become his children. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. We are now in a relationship. We have a Father in heaven. A relationship, our Father who art in heaven. And his Son, Jesus Christ, is what made that relationship possible. He died for our sins. And so Paul is saying, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, it's personal. And God, our Father, it's relational. Uh, And notice the description at this point. Who has loved us and given us Eternal comfort and good hope by grace. There's a description. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done these things. They've done these things. God has done this. There's two participles here. You could say it this one. Uh, The one loving us, the one having given us. The one loving us, or having loved us, and the one having given us. So it's, it's a done deal participle. You see, the one having loved us, isn't that beautiful? May the one having loved us do this. Having loved us do this. Well, we know that God loves us, don't we? And how do we know that? We know that from the Word of God, don't we? We know from John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know from Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know from 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, by this is love, uh, love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. The Father loved us and sent his Son, right? But Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself for us. John fifteen thirteen, greater love hath no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Galatians two twenty, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and get this, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The love, the, the act has already happened. The one having had loved us. He loves us now, but he's talking to the, to the act before, that, that act of love that brought about our salvation in Christ. The one having loved us. I'm praying that the one having loved us would do this for you. The one having loved us would do this for you. And notice he talks about also uh, something else. The one having loved us and then who has given us. The one having given us something. What has he given us? He's loved us and he's given us here eternal comfort. The tense of the verb, the one having given us, is, is that it's already a done deal. He's already given us eternal comfort. I'm praying that the one that's loved you and has already given you two things he's going to say, first of all, eternal comfort, that he would do this for you now. And I think part of the prayer is going to show us that when we recognize what he's already given us, then we partake of what he's going to give us in the prayer. We'll see. Because we realize the means in which he brings it forth. So here, he says, the one already given you eternal comfort. The term comfort, paraclesis, or here, uh, at its root speaks of calling to one side. It has a sense of, you know, hey, John, come here. And, And you come up there and you speak to somebody to speak, calling to speak. Hey, you know, you're gonna make it, you're gonna get through this. You know, it's, it's a tender comforting. Or, hey, hey, uh, trust the Lord. Don't worry. You know, it could be translated comfort, exhortation, encouragement. Um, it's an interesting word. It speaks about literally someone coming to the side and speaking to you. That's what it means. That's what it means. We saw earlier, as it was read, that God, in the same word, is the God of all Comfort. He's the God of all paraclesis. He's the God of all comfort. Second Corinthians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and God of all comfort. All true comfort comes from Him. It all does. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are afflicted with the comfort with which we were comforted by God. The God of all comfort. And what's interesting is Jesus uses the same word to speak of the Holy Spirit. He speaks of the Holy Spirit, and it's translated in John, the helper. It's the same basic word, the helper. How does he help? He comes alongside and speaks to us as we see the truth of God, that we would be comforted. You see? Now we see, turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16. The Lord Jesus is on his way to his, uh, his uh, crucifixion. He's going to leave the disciples. He's telling them, hey, I'm not going to leave you orphans. 
you know, I'm going to send someone. He says here, and I will ask, John 14, 16, the Father, and he will give you another paraclete, another comforter or helper. He says, that, you, that he may be with you forever. Forever. Get it? Eternal comfort, forever. Start to see the, the, the point. That's the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you, because he was right in his presence, Jesus, there was with him, not, you know, and his manifested God there, and the Spirit will be in you. He will be in you. So then we have the Spirit of truth who's called the helper. And, and how does he help us? How does he help us? How does he comfort us? How does he come alongside and speak to us? Look a little farther down, John fourteen twenty six. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and what? Bring remembrance, you remembrance all that I said to you. He'll teach you and he'll bring to remembrance the things that Jesus said, the word of God, the word of God. And then notice this, I don't think you've ever seen this before, but my peace, peace I leave with you. What is he just saying? The whole context is I'm going, but I'm leaving the spirit of God. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. They can't accept it, right? They're not, they can't have the Spirit of God. Do I give you, let not your heart be troubled, let not it be fearful. In the context, they were going to receive his Spirit when he left, and his Spirit would be with them forever. You see, peace and comfort comes through God by his Spirit. That's what we say here. Remember, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, peace. When the Spirit takes the Word of God, it comforts us, comes alongside, and speaks to us, and teaches us, and discloses the things of Christ. Remember 1 Thessalonians? We saw that the Thessalonians were concerned about their brothers and sisters that had died, and they maybe they thought they had missed Christ's coming. And Paul shares the reality that Christ is going to come with them, and they're going to be raised first, and then you're all going to be raised. And he says, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, Comfort, paraclesis, or paraclete, one another with these words. Let God's word comfort you. Let God's word comfort you. We see the same thing in chapter 5, verse 11, uh, that believers are not destined for wrath, but salvation. Uh, Therefore, encourage. It's actually the same word, comfort. Same exact word. One another and build one another up. The point I'm making here is the provision for God's comfort from now through eternity has already been given to us. It's already been given. I believe it's the Spirit of God that takes the things of God through the Word of God and comforts us. We've already been given done deal eternal comfort. The God who has already, that's the tense, given us eternal comfort. We have comfort for all eternity. And God does so through his spirit, which he's given to us through his word. It's a far-reaching comfort. It's a future provision of comfort. It's a comfort forever. Forever. But notice he's also given us something else. He has already given us the God who gives eternal comfort and then good hope by grace. Good hope by grace. Well, what is what is hope? What is hope? Well, first of all, we see it's modified here. It's good hope. It's good hope. 
Well, what is hope? Well, sadly, you know, our view in, of hope in Christian culture can often be different than what Bible shares. You know, often many might say, we hope something will happen, but it's really a desire for something to come true. You know, it's not wrong to say, I hope this is going to happen, but that's not hope. That's not hope. It's not biblical hope. I hope I get a good grade in my test. I hope I arrive home safely. I hope I'm able to retire. You know, that's a hope, but that's not a biblical hope. Biblical hope is based on the absolute certainty and truth of the Word of God. And it's based on the God who shares it. You see, hope is of the things that are not seen rather than the things that are seen. Romans uh, 8, verse 6, or Romans 8, let me find that, Romans 8, 24. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly await it. Now the primary focus of believers' hope is God. Primary focus is God Himself. Psalm forty three, verses five and eleven, we are to hope in God. That's our hope. Acts 24:15 Paul makes it clear he had hope in God. 1 Timothy 5:5 5, 5, one of the qualifications for the church to support widows when they are aged and don't have a family to support them. One of the qualifications is that they have fixed their hope in God. They're not waffling old women who don't trust Jesus. They have fixed their hope in God and guess what God's going to take care of them. God's going to take care of them. You see, and we know that uh, in the Old Testament, the holy women indeed were those who hoped in God, 1 Peter 3, 5. The Apostle Paul told Timothy clearly in 1 Timothy 4:10 that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God. That's our hope, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. But our hope is, is more directly and more focused than just God in general in a sense, our hopes in Jesus. Jesus is the blessed hope. Titus 2. 1 Thessalonians 1.3. They had a steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our hope. The Apostle Paul said very clearly to Timothy that Christ Jesus, who is our hope. 1 Timothy 1.1. The Apostle Paul shared in Romans 15 that it is Christ in whom the Gentiles shall hope. We hope in the living God. And when you come to faith, we've been given a good hope already. It was granted to us. He loved us. He gave us eternal comfort. And he gave us a good hope. And that is all, as we see, by grace. You see, we hope in Christ. We hope in God. But we also hope in what God says. In what God says. We believe what he has said. I mentioned it earlier, Christ in you, the hope of glory. First John 3 talks about um, recognizing what's going to happen when Christ comes. I'll read this for you. Beloved, First John 3, now we are children of God. It has not appeared yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, that's Jesus, we shall be like him. That's being glorified because we shall see him just as he is. Now we know that and we hope in that, don't we? And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. It drives your motives. It drives you to do what is right. We have been given 
good hope already. And it's by grace. It's by His favor that we have uh, good hope by grace. His grace is His unmerited favor. We were saved by grace. We walked by grace. We've entered into this grace in which we stand. And we were given this by His grace. He's a gracious God. He gives what we don't deserve. We don't deserve it, but He gave it to us. You see, now may the God who, the one having loved us, the one having already given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. At that point, you should say, if he's already given it, I should be okay, right? I shouldn't be struggling, right? No, it's the application of it. You know, we have everything. We have all the spiritual riches in the heavenlies, but we don't partake of that because sin gets in the way and ourselves gets in the way. Now may God grant you this as your heart is stayed on him and in his word, I believe. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. And here's the, here's the request. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. May he do this. Now the, the language here, I believe, I usually prefer the NASB, but I think they've kind of not messed this up, but it's not the best translation. The New King James does better. Um, it should be said this way. I'll, I'll translate literally. Comfort your hearts first and then establish you. Not comfort and uh, strengthen your hearts, but comfort your hearts, stop, establish you, the second part, in every good work and word, right? So the first thing is, may God comfort your hearts. Well, he's already given us eternal comfort, so how does he comfort our hearts? Just like we've seen, stand firm in Christ. Believe his word and he will comfort you. You don't do that, you're not going to be comforted. His spirit will comfort you. We know that, right? No matter how bad it is, when we go to the Lord, we trust in him. We believe specifically the truth that applies to the circumstances to us and him. We are comforted the god of all comfort will comfort you you see paul's saying hey do this and may god do this he's already given you all the provision for it but you need to trust him you need to grasp his word comfort your hearts that's what we need don't we that's what we need when we're going through troubles and we do go through troubles god knows that he gave us his spirit don't worry my peace i leave with you Peace and comfort go hand in hand. I leave it with you. But guess what? If we don't partake of what God has given us through the means in which he's given it, we will not have comfort. The Spirit of God is the teacher. He teaches us and he brings to remembrance the truth that comes from Christ through his word. And if we allow him to do that, we're going to be comforted. Let me show you another passage that points to this. Romans 15. Turn to Romans 15. It's the Word of God through the Spirit of God that we receive comfort. Now, someone can come alongside and comfort us too, but usually it comes through them sharing biblical truth. Whether it's paraphrase or whatever it may be, it's just the truth of God. Trust the Lord. He's going to take care of you. He's promised that, right? Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times, that's called the Word of God, was written for our instruction. That's being taught, right? Things you're taught, right? 
that through the perseverance and notice this word encouragement, that's comfort. It's the same word, paraclesis, same word of the scriptures. We might have hope. The word of God comforts us, but it's not comforted. It's not the word by itself. Notice the next verse. Notice the next verse. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement or literally comfort. God does it through his word. Do you see that? Hey, the word is what gives you perseverance and encouragement or comfort. Now may the God who gives you perseverance and comfort, now may he, who does it personally, through his spirit, by his word, I believe, that's how he does it, grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. You see, it's God does so through his word. But Paul doesn't stop there, back in our passage. He doesn't stop there. Now may, and I'm going to do my translation, the Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, uh, the one having had loved us, the one having had given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, uh, may he uh, comfort your hearts, and then notice the next part, strengthen you in every good work and word. Wow, comfort and strength. Strength for everything. Every work, that's the term work, is everything you do. And every word, everything you say. But it's qualified. Good work and word. It's his work and his words. May he strengthen you. We've seen this word before. Strengthen. Sterizo. That's where we get our word steroid from. It speaks of setting something up so that it is immovable. Taking it and placing it up so that it is immovable. It speaks of removing instability. Removing that. Remember we saw this was the purpose that Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonians, to share the word of God for their faith. Look back in 1, Timothy, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, that's because the, they, they were perse- being persecuted and Satan was tempting them, they were concerned about the Thessalonians. We thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel, and here's our words, to strengthen and encourage you. That's the same word, encourage there. Sterizo and paraclesis, you, as to your faith, so that you may not be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know we've been destined for this. We sent Timothy to share the word of God with you, I believe, in the context to strengthen you, to establish you so that you wouldn't waver and fall over, to comfort you, to call alongside, to speak to you. And it's the Spirit of God that does that. When we're suffering, we need strength. And it's only through God we receive his strength when we stand firm and grasp his word in our hearts. We are weak within ourselves, but when we trust in Christ and in him and his word, We are strong. We are strong. We are strengthened. The instability of our lives caused by the trials and difficulty is removed. But we've got to go back to the Word and trust the Spirit of God to work through the Word and trust God to do so by faith. What are the differences between Christians who are unstable, falling apart, and shaken up? It's whether they hold to the Word of God and stand firm in Christ. If you hold to the word, in spite of what you see, in spite of what you feel, you hold to the word and you trust in Jesus, he will comfort you and strengthen you for 
every good work and word. Do you see why it's so important to be in the Word of God? Do you see why it's so important to hold to the instruction of things you were taught? I've taught you a lot here, brothers and sisters. Hold to it. Hold to it, and God will comfort you personally. He's given you eternal comfort. He will comfort you, and he will strengthen you. Is that not what we need when we're going through difficulty? You bet it is. And so now we know why some believers are comforted and some believers are not. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you have loved us already. Thank you so much that you have given us already eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Lord, we have a tremendous hope and we have a tremendous future future glory. And yet, Lord, temporally we suffer and we go through difficulties. There are things that knock us off kilter. And Lord, you don't desire that we get shaken up. You want us to stand firm. Lord, help us to take to heart uh, these uh, commands that we would stand firm in Christ and we would hold and grasp on to the truth that we have been taught and know that you will comfort and strengthen us for every good work and word. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.